Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight. The conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have the second part of our conversation on Scott's new book, Open to the Spirit. Scott, last week we talked about how important it is to be open to the Spirit and what that looks like in our our Christian life and how Jesus led the way in that. And today um, we're looking at some of the, you know, more specifics of ways people feel that they hear from the Spirit and what the Spirit may be leading us to in our life. So um, I'm sure you've heard all sorts of, of different things. What would you say, you know, if you had to pin it down to one thing, what would be um, maybe some of the, the, the most bizarre and, and crazy out there things that you've heard that people attribute to the Holy Spirit? Oh, I'll never forget a time. I mean, I th- this one wasn't, this one I guess is crazy, but it's not... Um, morally reprehensible or anything like right. that. I, I, I one time had a pastor told me that the, that the, uh, that the spirit had spoken to someone in his congregation, uh, that he should pray that his wife dies because the Lord, had another woman in mind for him. Yeah. Wow. Well. The kind of zaniness, but mm-hmm. I, I ran into a guy who said the spirit had spoken to him to go to, um, uh, the Bahamas and to conduct a ministry of fishing. Okay. A small boat fishing in the Bahamas. And I remember the pastor who told me this said to me, it's not a bad gig if you can get it. Well, (laughs) and not only that, that guy, that guy flourished in ministry doing that very thing. So today I thought, uh, um, we could talk about how the Spirit speaks to us by looking at the Spirit's communicativeness, how the Spirit communicates in the Bible, and how the Spirit is supposed to communicate with us. We should recognize that the Spirit speaks to us in the living Word, and by the living Word, of course, I mean Jesus. It all begins with Philip, who's a disciple of Jesus, when he says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. When, when you say, uh, show us God— and someone says, look at me, most people are going to back down and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Jesus then um, says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And he ramps this up, and he says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Now, these are mind-boggling statements, is that Jesus is saying that when one sees him, anyone who sees Jesus is actually seeing the Father. So whoever believes in me, Jesus says, he jumps way ahead, uh, he says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. How is this possible? Because Jesus says, I am going to the Father, where he will become their power intercessor. You ask for me for anything, he says, in my name, and I will do it. Now, this is getting really powerful, but to me, the the climactic statement of this is this. When we get the mission of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus calls the advocate, the paraclete, whom he's sending to his disciples, and he says this, when the advocate comes, he will testify about me. This is... uh, 
He says the spirit will glorify Mm -hmm. Jesus. This is critical to me. We measure the legitimacy of the spirit's guidance, the spirit's communication, people's claims about the spirit by how conforming they are to who Christ is. The Spirit's responsibility is to take us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, The Spirit's responsibility is to guide us to Jesus. There is no justification for us becoming so enamored with the Spirit when, and at the same time, our ignoring of Jesus. So I have at times provoked some of my charismatic friends who get to talk in spirit this, spirit this, and I'll say, you know, you've talked all about the Holy Spirit here, but you've said nothing about Jesus. And, I, and I'm not doing that to be cute or to be mean or to be critical, and I'm, I'm not even making any kind of claim to be prophetic. What I'm saying is, Sometimes we can get so yakety-yakety about the Spirit that we forget that the Spirit's responsibility is to take us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I I believe that whenever we are prompted by the Spirit, there will be the presence of Jesus around us uh, or in us. So um, I, I felt this one time. I was on an airplane. And, um, you know, you, one of the things you do on an airplane is you hide the cover to your book because the person next to you might just want to start talking to you. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm sitting and a, a guy sits next to me and then a, a young, a young man and a young woman and they had come in together. Uh, I didn't, I couldn't tell if they were married though. My wife has taught me to look for a wedding ring and I didn't see a wedding ring. So I, I didn't know if they were married and after about an hour, uh, a conversation starts to happen. And uh, I discover, because I'd snooped a little bit, that the guy next to me had a very, he had an iPad open with a very, very or a computer, a very, very serious kind of math problem on his computer. And obviously he was the author of some very technical article on math. Well, I get to a conversation with him and he tells me that he's into, theor- I don't know, some kind of theoretical mathematics. And this was his girlfriend. He, he is a professor at Dartmouth or something. And she's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania mm-hmm. in theoretical mathematics. They were going to a big conference. So he says to me, what do you do? Well, you know, I don't do mathematics. I do Jesus. <laughs> and so I told him what I did. And he said to me, he said, I, I'm Jewish. And he said, I grew up in a Catholic, and I went to a Catholic school that my father and mother wanted me to go to because I was, they wanted me to have more of a religious education, and the public schools in our area were not that good. And he said, I got to tell you, I love the parables of Jesus. So for the next 30 minutes, I felt prompted by the Spirit, Spirit prompted to just kind of give interpretations of the parables of Jesus. And I could tell that he was moved and that he enjoyed it and that he was 
sort of basking in these stories. And I, I'm, I'm using this as an illustration that I think that, that that's the sort of thing the Spirit wants to do with us. He wants us to be prompted to talk Jesus and to take people to Jesus. So to me, one of the great ways the Spirit talks, well, clear, not great ways, this is what the Spirit does, is the Spirit always takes us to Jesus. So w- would you say the way in which the Spirit leads us in mission is by prompting us to spread Jesus in the the different areas that we find ourselves in life? Maybe that may be, you know, relationally, or, or maybe that may be, you know, territorially, if we, we feel like, or geographically, that, you know, God is is leading us to a certain place through the Spirit, that it's in order to, to share Jesus and make his kingdom realized than was there before. Well, I, I would put it, yeah, I mean, I think, I think your instinct is exactly right, is that whatever we do, um, to the degree that we are being prompted by the Spirit, to that same degree that prompting is going to take us and other people toward Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you've got to say Jesus every third word to know if the Spirit's present. Uh, I don't mean that, but I mean that uh, the Spirit, when the Spirit is using us, this is the rule. When the Spirit is using us, the Spirit is guiding things toward Jesus, because the Spirit's responsibility is to glorify Jesus. Mm. Uh, a second theme that I notice in the Bible about how the Spirit speaks is the Spirit speaks through the Bible, uh, through the Word. And always there's an unfoldingness, um, a development, evolution, growth, shifting and changing and twisting and turning of the Bible as the Bible uh, uh, becomes what it is in, in the Christian sense of our canon. But... Here's here's what I this this is a big idea for me and that is the spirit who prompted let's just say Moses or David or Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jesus or Peter or Paul or John the spirit who prompted um, Moses is the same spirit who prompted Peter and so that same sameness of the Spirit uh, is what renders the Bible compatible on different levels from the beginning to the end. And that's not to say there's not uh, shifts and turns, mm-hmm. but that same Spirit is at work. And that same Spirit is at work when we read the Bible. And um, I have long... Uh, love the conversation, and, and I'll put it this way, when, when we read the Bible, where is the Spirit present? All right, now, here, let's say there are two phases to Bible reading. There's more than this, but let's simplify. Our tools of interpretation and our habits of how to read, and we determine what the Bible said then. Let's say we're examining what Paul's intention is in Galatians chapter 3, and all of this um, is filtered and shaped and constrained by our own church communities or our own faith communities, traditions and interpretations 
and categories. So, you know, I, I'm Anglican. So when I see Lord's Supper, I say Eucharist. And when my some of my friends who are Baptists, when they see the word the Lord's Supper, they think Lord's Supper and communion. So we have we have these interpretive traditions. Is the Spirit at work in us when we read the Scripture so that we can understand it? Or would we say the Spirit, we'd say, no, that's sort of rational, intellectual, mental brain activity. But it's when we begin to discern what the Spirit is saying to us, and not just what it said and what it meant but what it means now mm -hmm. and how it's shaping us and how I should live and prayers of discernment and illumination. Where does the spirit fit in all this? And I, I've gone through two phases in my life on this. I, well, I have three. I went through a naive phase where I never thought about this, but I, I was taught when I was a high schooler that every time I opened the Bible, I should pray this prayer. Uh, Spirit, illumine my mind or illumine me so that I will know what God has to say. I, I was taught that. And so I always I used to pray prayers of illumination. Then I went off to seminary and I got really smart and I learned not to say prayers of illumination. And I, I developed a more rationalistic, um, a more rationalistic approach. And what I mean by that is. I actually believed, and I taught this for many years, um, especially when I was teaching in a seminary, that the Spirit of God does not prompt us to understand what the text says so that I could footnote the Spirit and say, I know this interpretation is correct because the Spirit told me. Mm -hmm. But rather, it's the Spirit who prompts us after we've examined the text and speaks to us of how to live it out. So it's more at the level of application or something like that. And that rationalist was a second phase I went through. And um, in the last 15, 20 years, I, I completely jettisoned that rationalistic approach to Bible reading. And I believe that the Spirit of God is altogether present with us and in Scripture and in the reading of Scripture, aloud and privately, so that the Spirit speaking to us as we read it, and also, in a sense, after we read it, so that what we've read becomes significant and formative in our life. So I believe with, uh, with Craig Keener that we need to fertilize spirit hermeneutics. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, we need to... We need to pray to be open to the Spirit as we read Scripture so that God will speak to us, not just after we've read Scripture. And I've, I've often, I remember uh, hearing sermons where people would preach for 40 minutes, and then at the end they'd say, now, Spirit, apply these words to our hearts. And I remember thinking, uh, as I thought about this later, I thought, man, that should have been prayed at the beginning, not at the end. Yeah, uh, that let it sink in. Time. Uh, but it was sort of a rationalistic interpretation of induction, and here's what this word means, and this is what this sentence is constructed to say, etc. And then only then, after we've completely figured it out mentally, do we then ask the Spirit of God to guide us. I think that rationalistic approach is contrary to how the Bible 
is meant to be read, and clearly how Bible readers, uh, let's say, people in the Bible who were reading the Bible, actually read the Bible. Yeah, so, I, and I remember you you laying this out in one of our classes that I was in with you, and um, I remember then having the thought, and hopefully I can be able to articulate it, of you know talking about some of these different component pieces to um, the hermeneutical process and interpretation, and um, and even eventually application. But um, to see the, these as the you know the building blocks, or like if you think of a, a body, um, the skeleton and the you know the the flesh and the you know the the different components that constitute a body but the spirit being the the life force which is you know really kind of what pneuma the the word in greek for for spirit is it can also be translated as as breath and that being the not that there's any part that it's not involved in but it's the is the the life force being able to to bring about what the the purpose of the components are um in into work how they're they're supposed to work yeah yeah i mean i i think i know what you, you're saying there and i think that's that the spirit is at work in all of it not just some of it right beginning to end the spirit is the life force of who we are and has made us who we are so that the who we are who begins to read the bible is a spirit prompted individual who through the Spirit's illumination over time has become more sensitive to the truths of the gospel and to the centrality of Christ. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you on that. Scott, something you brought up earlier that uh, I think is fascinating is that, you know, you talked about the same Spirit being that which, you know, led King David or, you know, that the, interacted with Moses as the same one that, that Peter talked about and was able to, you know, preach from and, and do his healings and the different things that he did. Um, is there any difference from the Old Testament concept of Spirit? And the New Testament way that I, I've heard it before said is that, um, you know, continual indwelling of the Spirit and that now we now that we've had a, a baptism of the Spirit, it's something that was different from the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. Well, Chaz, I grew up with that idea, and this is, this is not something that— um, it's not a set of categories that I think with or—, or have pondered much of late. I came to conclusions when I was in college because of a book I read by a man named Leon Wood that the Spirit of God was every bit present in individual believers in Israel in the Old Testament as the Spirit of God is present with us today. That new life with God is prompted by the Spirit. And it's not like that there was a, a let's say a, a, that we they were that the Bible is binitarian father and son mm-hmm. until Pentecost and then it the Bible becomes trinitarian. Uh, it's not like the um, the Spirit was not present in those in those uh, earlier days because if God is present, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are present. So all are present. If God is present, so I'm I am persuaded that uh, that people in the Old Testament are indwelt by the Spirit, and John or Jack Levison has got 
several books in which he develops these themes, I think, very well. In fact, he read my manuscript and he thought I needed more Old Testament. I said, hey, man, I'm a New Testament guy. <laughs> um, but um, so I would I would there's there's some freshness about the spirit in new ways in the New Testament. But, for instance, this the gifts of the spirit in First Corinthians 12 through 14 uh, you could take to be but it's not all that different language to the guy who makes the tabernacle in mm -hmm. Exodus mm -hmm. and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost yes it is very clear this is an empowerment for Gentiles and all people to be brought together into one community there's something new and energizing and upgrading of what's going on but that same spirit came upon people in the Old Testament as well, on Elijah and Elisha. So I, I, I don't like to make too big of a distinction between the spirit of the Old Testament and the spirit of the New Testament. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not one to say there's, there's that much difference between the two. Sure. Yeah. Well, we don't have too much time left, but I think one of the, the main things we probably want to uh, definitely pay at least a little bit of attention to here together is uh, about the role of the Holy Spirit in transformation. So, um, yeah. you know, that's clearly something of the, you know, we can't have new creation without uh, the life given to us poured out through the Spirit. But um, what's that continual role look like in the way of, of transformation? Um, I mean, this is a this to me is a really important and big question, and um, um, I mean, first of all, I believe that the purpose of God in our redemption is is to turn us from sinful agents who are headed toward death and who are dominated by flesh. I'm starting to talk like Romans six through eight here. Uh, that these people are going to be transformed by the presence of the Spirit so that they no longer are unable to do what they want to do, but they are able to do what God has called them to do, and they will be transformed. And Romans chapter 8 makes it very clear that this, this transformation is so that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. So let's just say this, that from birth and conversion on the direction of the Spirit's work in our life is to make us like Christ. Mm -hmm. I use the term all the time in my writings now of Christoformity. I really like Michael Gorman's cruciformity, but um, I, like, I like a little bit more person to it rather than just event, the cross, and make it Christoformity, but I, what I mean by Christoformity is almost indistinguishable from what Michael Gorman means by cruciformity, um, is that if you read Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, and I would encourage people to do this and ask the Spirit to be upon them, as, they re as you read that, you can see that in Adam uh, we sin and we sin turns into capital sin, and it leads to death and condemnation. But in Christ, the other line, the other way, is, is, the, is Christ 
is God's grace and favor upon us is justification, no condemnation, and righteousness, and the Spirit making us Christ-like. And if you read Romans 5, you can see this sin. Romans 6, you can see the centrality of baptism and the importance of dying to sin and no longer being a slave to sin in the flesh and being a slave to God, etc. Romans 7 uh, has this amazing description of uh, in a first person singular i no longer i i want to do what's right in my mind i know what the will of god is but i don't do it yeah and then there's almost an well there clearly is an exasperation of defeat mm-hmm. that you know who will deliver me from this body of death so this is paul's it's called a speech in character and he's he's proving that you will never be transformed uh, and he's talking to Gentiles, they will never be transformed by by submitting themselves to the Torah, that their their way of transformation is through the Spirit of God. And that's why ex- there's an explosion of joy and a complete change of tone when you hit Romans chapter 8, because Paul shows that in the Spirit, they're going to accomplish God's will for them and the all of creation— is groaning for this redemption, and this redemption is described as liberation. And so there's this enslavement to flesh and sin that can only end and lead to liberty and freedom and joy and victory in Christ through the Spirit. And that's why Paul says at the very end of Romans 8 that in him we are more than conquerors. So to me, the whole idea of transformation in the Christian life is 100% dependent upon our openness to the Spirit. The idea that we can discipline our habits, form habits, and and therefore become good Christians and better Christians is a deeply mistaken idea we need to have habits, but the habits need to be habits that make us open to the Spirit. And I remind us, I remember sitting there with Dallas Willard when Dallas Willard said to me that the spiritual disciplines are designed to make us open to God's grace and open to God's Spirit. They are not designed on their own to make us better Christians. They are designed to open our windows and our taps so that God's spirit can flow into us and God's grace can transform us. So I'm, I'm convinced of transformation, but I'm convinced that we need to quit working so hard and start turning our hearts toward being open to God. And that's, that's ultimately exactly why I wrote this book. Yeah, because right? it's not about behavior transformation that you, you change, you know, you work hard to change these things about us, but that it's like you said, being open to the heart transformation that only comes through the openness to the spirit and the spirit's work and our life that then through that brings about the change in, in behavior and change in action and change in, in how we live because we now have the the force that really can bring transformation, that really can bring new life, and um, and we, we wouldn't have it without the spirit. Totally agree, Chaz. Yeah. Totally.
So, um, yeah, anything to wrap up our, our two conversations that we've had on Open to the Spirit and, um, you know, send our listeners away with today? Well, um, there's a lot of topics, and we didn't even get through all the forms of communication, but I, I developed those in the book. I, I would just, I would just uh, again, urge us to pray uh, that, that, you know, I am open to the Spirit, you know, fill me, dwell in me, guide me. We need, we need to become more conscious of the Spirit and the goodness of God in sending us the Spirit to make us what God wants us to be. So, you know, my, uh, my, my plea is for us uh, to spend more time uh, being open to the Spirit and asking the Spirit of God to come to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's a that's a wrap, Scott. How about you want to just end like we did last time with that prayer, and um, and that can be our close. Uh, I could, Lord, I am open to the Holy Spirit. Come to me, dwell in me, speak to me, so I may become more like Christ. Lord, give me the courage to be open. Lord, I am open to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Scott. And thanks again, our, our listeners. And like I said last week, if you're interested in hearing a lecture that Scott has to give on um, some more in depth about the this book and the concept of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be having a Taste of Northern again, May 14th. That's a Monday. And you can log on to Northern's website to learn more about that and to sign up for this opportunity. Um, also, will be a chance to experience the Northern Live Learning Platform where you can engage in the Masters of Arts in New Testament, as well as there's a few other degrees at Northern, but um, Scott specifically leading the Masters of Arts in New Testament. If you're interested in uh, deepening your well for teaching and preaching or um, learning more about the, the Bible and how to bring it to life um, and how to how it might be wanting to speak to the context that you find yourself in. We'd love to have you as a student and the Taste of Northern would be a great way to um, get really kind of look into that some and, and just to get to, to try it for free. So um, please let me know. You can always email me at crobbins at seminary.edu if you got any questions or I can help you out in any way. Um, but we're so grateful to have you as a listener. Hope you're having an incredible day and we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Mm-hmm.